7.03 on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour two of the program. Hour two is brought to you by Primetime Craft Beer. Meticulously brewed for quality and taste. Primetime Craft Beer is full flavor without compromise. You can find some at a liquor store near you, or you can visit the brewery to see how it's made. Speaking of primetime, the fine folks from Primetime Bridge Brewing came by last week, dropped off a bunch of product for the Sportsnet 650 folk. Let me tell you, nothing makes Sportsnet 650 personalities happier than a Friday beer delivery. Mm -hmm. It's so perfect. You're looking at the weekend. You're ready to go. What's the one that, uh, the, there's three different flavors of uh, flavors. I sound like a 16-year-old kid talking about alcohol. <laughs> what flavors do you have today, sir? Uh, Does this one have more hops? Yeah. So they've didn't, got... Didn't one of your buddies ask that the first no, time? No, okay. Ever, so okay. <laughs> I was coaching a uh, a soccer team. I think they were 17. It was U18, so they were 17. So they're on, they're on the precipice of, you know, I- I- indulging and, you know, experiencing bars and yeah, yeah. nightlife and everything so we went we were on a road trip and we went to some bar and i the anecdote was later passed on to me that the kids sat down at the table and the waitress came up and he's like do you have any specials tonight i'm like oh, that's a good question to ask right yeah, yeah, Try and sure. integrate yeah, yourself yeah. don't make yeah, it look yeah. like you're underage and she's like yeah highballs are on special and then he said what flavors do you have <laughs> at what point she said i'm gonna need to see some id son you have multiple flavors. <laughs> yeah. One beer-flavored alcohol, please. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it didn't, it didn't back, work out great for you. Back to primetime. But thank you to the folks at primetime for coming by last week. That was very nice. Okay. Uh, primetime does not support underage drinking. Yes, make that a, a very, very clear on the placard. I'm really mad that I missed letters. this on Friday. Really yeah, mad. I know. I, didn't realize. I, 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 know. Sa- I saved some for you. Oh, good. Yeah, I know I did. Nice. Because I'm a good person. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Alfred wouldn't have. No, he wouldn't have. He's, he already drank them. <laughs> uh, tell the people about Kintec. Uh, We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? Kintech, that's what. Okay, we got an open segment here on the Halford & Ruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, We can dive into the Dunbar Lumber text line, 650-650. A reminder, if you want to get a pair of tickets to see all three days, a tournament pass to the Rugby Sevens, send to what we learned in. I'm not going to go over the emojis again. Just put a good emoji into the thing. Uh, and then make it a good what we learned. What did you learn over the last 24 hours in sports? There's a lot of people weighing in on the Canucks victory last night. 3-2 over the Carolina Hurricanes in Carolina. And not just an important victory because they had like 10 days off and it was the start of the second half of the season. And it's a very good Carolina team. They were on fire going into the break. But this upcoming swing, this slate of the next 10 games, eight of them on the road is going to be tough. And you mentioned this prior to going to break, that Boston game on Thursday, Mm -hmm. I feel like it just got a lot tougher because the Bees came out of the break and laid an egg at home against Calgary. The Flames and Andre Kuzmenko beat the Bruins 4-1 yesterday in case you missed that one. What was the biggest story of last night's game for you? Because there were multiple storylines. You can go with the obvious one if you want. You're talking about the Cox game, of course, yeah. right? Not the Flames game. Um, it's For me, it's got to be Lindholm's debut. Two goals on the power play. And I think it was not just... He was out there for a PK goal against, though. I know. You know? I know. I, I choose not to yeah. focus on that part of it because... He's been a real bust on the PK. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. The kill is a problem. No, uh, 
going to be the hour two podcast title, by the way. Um, I'm going to, I will, I, I'll say this. I knew about the player. I knew about his time in Carolina. I knew his exit from Carolina, how he ended up in Calgary. I knew how it went in Calgary. The highs, the 42 goal campaign, the lows, only having nine goals yeah. through 49 games this year. But unless the player's a superstar, you know, and, and he's not on your team, like, you don't really watch him closely, right? Yep. Yeah, I knew he was a handsome fella. Uh, I didn't know about the net front presence. Yeah. Because I'm going to be honest, like, you know, I still got a bit of an archaic understanding of the NHL. Like, my idea of it, for, to be an effective net front presence, you have to be, like, a beast, physically huge. Yeah. And you have to be willing to take 9,000 cross-checks and, you know, I'm thinking... He was just standing there. Todd Bertuzzi, Dustin Bufflin, <laughs> yeah. that kind of... You know what I mean? Yeah. I know it's different now. And it's it's a skill it's a skill thing like everything else. Not like it wasn't back in the day, but that... You still have to take some... Sure. Uh, ...once in a while, but the power play sometimes, he's the net front guy is kind of like left alone. Well, okay, so when the lines and the combos were being tweeted out at Monday's and Tuesday's practices, and I saw Lindholm as the net front presence, I was like, oh, okay, we'll see how it goes. And then... We played the audio from Quinn Hughes yesterday saying, if I throw 50 pucks on net, he's mm-hmm. tipping 49 of them. Yeah. And I was like, well, this is a really interesting dynamic. So I started looking at it more and more and more. And he's had some good production on the power play in both Calgary and Carolina. Yeah. I think he hit 10 goals in both places. But, but like, so. is, is he known for this? Or is it just he, had, get, yeah, he, no. had, he had one game for the Canucks and he was he managed no. to tip home too and it was like no no he's and no. even he was coming off the ice and he was like I never do that um, he's known as having uh, very good hand eye coordination and he's mm. as you put it on Twitter yesterday he's a good tipper he's a twenty five percent guy on the on the what we call right. it, the POS system reminiscent of Tony Tanti. Yeah, yeah, right? another good tipper. Yeah, less good tipping tipper. back in the day. You could get, you get away with ten percent. <laughs> you get away with ten percent. Tony Tanti's day. Oh, he's in that sentence. Tony so Tanti tipper. The story for me was just how good the hockey game was. Yeah, it was great. It was a it was a terrific game, and at the end of the day, the Canucks got a bit of a fortunate bounce, and even JT Miller admitted admitted as much. Um, I guess the puck went off the stanchion. Um, I think half the Canes team thought it was offside and might have stopped playing a little bit. And when I initially watched the replay, I'm like, ooh, was that offside? Um, but the goal held up. I guess it wasn't offside. And it was, you know, it was a kind of a weird dump in and the Canucks had to get back onside before they went in. That whole that whole sequence. The whole was thing weird. was weird, right? And the Canucks got a good bounce at the beginning of the third period. They went up three to two and then the ice tilted. Um, I think it might have anyway. Yep. Um, because the Canucks had had so many stretches where they really did dominate Carolina five on five, and Carolina's a good team. Like they are, they have been a perennial playoff team for a number of years now. They play well in their own arena, and that was going to happen. And the Canucks did the things that they needed to do to get out of that game while protecting a lead. Um, Obviously, Thatcher Demko was really good for them. Um, they blocked shots. They did, you know, you would have liked to have seen a little more possession for them in Carolina's end, but I think it was bound to happen. Mm-hmm. And those are the games that sometimes you just got to be like, okay, guys, structure, sacrifice for teammates, block shots. Like, I'm thinking of all the guys that block shots. Lindholm blocked one. Dakota Joshua blocked one. Noah Juleson. Actually, Talkit um, made a point of referencing not Lindholm's two goals, but the third period uh, yeah. shot block. 
Right. That he said it was just like a combination of uh, bravery, high hockey IQ to go at the mm-hmm. time. They didn't have the patience to wait and then go. So, I mean, talk. That's hard. one of the tougher things to actually like figure out is like where the lanes are. Yeah. Right. Because you can lose your net behind you sometimes. And you're like, oh, I got this shot. I got this covered. And then he shoots the puck Oops. and it's like, oh. Well, I'm way out of position well, here. Well, Kelly's a very you know? smart player. Like that's, just from watching yeah. him in not one game, like I know it's such a, it's a thing you always say about players, but he is a very like you could tell he's he knows the game well. He's, yeah, he's, yeah, yeah, yeah. he's figured it out. He he knows how to play. And what he's talking about is like almost spatial awareness. Yeah. Which is not it's very difficult to coach, very difficult to teach. It's kinda like you either have it or you yeah. don't, right? Uh Brandon in Vancouver uh writes in to the Dunbar Lumber Text line at six fifty, six fifty. Brandon says, Big takeaway for me was Carolina is a team that dominates and controls possession against most every team and gets a ton of shots. For the first two periods, the Canucks were territorially better. We sort of beat them at their own game. Yeah, you limit Carolina to 12 shots through two periods. You're doing something right because, as Tockett said post game, uh, they're a volume team. Like, I understand why people get frustrated with the way that they play because they're sort of like, well, if we just do this enough, eventually it'll go in. I know it's more sophisticated than that, but they mm-hmm. like throwing pucks. And they weren't even able to do that because the counter had them at 12 through two periods. Now they put 12 up in the third period as well. So they kind of put it together. By the way, if you look at the fancy stats of the Canucks, like the underlying numbers, if you want to use expected goals at five on five, the Canucks have been steadily improving all season long. You know, they're not among, you know, the best team in terms of expected goals is the Edmonton Oilers. Mm -hmm. Second best Carolina. Uh, and then you've got teams like Florida up there. Uh, Pittsburgh is up there. And like I said, a lot of their issues, it seems like 90% of their issues are on the power play, mm-hmm. um, which is why I still think like if they can figure that out, they can they can do something even when they get into the playoffs. At any rate, the Canucks have gotten steadily better to the point where I don't, they rank like 13th or 14th in the NHL. They're right around the Vegas Golden Knights. They're right around the New York Rangers, the Toronto Maple Leafs. They're above the Boston Bruins. They're above the Tampa Bay Lightning. So, you know, maybe at the beginning of the season, mm-hmm. it looked like the Canucks were one of those teams that, oh, they're just totally getting lucky. Like, they're getting outplayed at 5-on-5 five five all the time. They're just relying on a high shooting percentage and a high save percentage. And that was partly true. And, I mean, last night, it was partly true because Carolina did tilt the ice in the third period, and at mm-hmm. the end of the day, they had the better of the possession, and it looked like one of those. Like if you'd look at it from the outside in, or from the, uh, the um, yeah, from the outside looking yep. in, yep. you'd be like, "Oh, the Canucks are PDOing again, right?" They've improved, yeah, as the season has gone on, and it was their road trip through New Jersey and New York where I think that became really apparent. Yeah. And I don't know if that's a confidence thing. I don't know if that's uh, the system is becoming more comfortable for them. I don't know if it's, I don't know. I'm, I don't know what it is, but this team is getting better as the season goes on, which is crazy to say because they had a really good start. But I think some of the start might have been, I don't want to say luck-based, but things were definitely going their way. Um, They are improving. And I think Elias Elias Lindholm 
is going to help even more in that regard. And I do wonder if there could be one or two more additions uh, to the team. But, you know, Evan from Langley, I love this text. He goes, the third line is an absolute buzzsaw five on five. Feels like they are the engine of this team a lot of nights. I 100% agree with that. That line feels like the line that Tockett can throw out there and go, okay, we're starting to lose a little bit of momentum in this game. Let the, let's get these guys over the boards, mm-hmm. and we can kind of take the game back a little bit. They just fight for every puck. They're smart on the puck, um, and they know how to keep the puck, but if they ever do lose it, a guy like Connor Garland is one of the best in the league at getting that puck back. And I heard Yannick Hansen on the station yesterday, and he's talking about the difference in the bottom six now compared to when he was playing. And remember the third line for the Canucks was anchored by Manny Maholtra in yeah. 2011. Mm-hmm. And the job of that line was not to score. That was like a classic shutdown line, right? Yeah. You would put that line out there. You would have the Canucks essentially had two checking lines, the Malhotra line and then Kessler's line. Yeah, it was obviously because like, Kessler was you know a Selkie winner that year, so they would put those guys in shutdown roles. But especially Malhotra's line, yeah. in terms of being like, <laughs> don't worry about scoring. Y- your job is to go out there and shut lines down. That doesn't happen so much now because the mix of players, according to Yannick Hansen, is a little bit different now. Um, but the bottom six is still so important. Like you, you have to have contributions. It can't be a liability. And for way too long in Vancouver, you would have the bottom six out there, and they'd just be like hanging on for dear life in their own end. Yeah, I mean the 2011 was. I mean it was 13 years ago. the The composition of the forward lines was reflective of the style. It was the style at the time. They all wore onions on their belts, but it was one of those things where it was like, <laughs> okay, you can get away. I, I don't want to say get away with it, but it's just that that's how the game was played. Is your bottom six was out there just to make sure nothing bad happened? I actually have wondered a few times what how Malhotra's would would have been perceived in the modern analytics game. Mm-hmm. I well, okay. Part of me wonders if it there might have just been more. He might have had more flair that could have been unlocked offensively, but he knew his sole sole job. He came into the league like that, but I think yeah. he quickly realized, like, ooh. But that's because of the league, know. almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah right? maybe, maybe. Yeah, like I mean, yeah. don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that the guy had enormous offensive upside, but what you're seeing right now is like, for example, you kept mentioning like Nicholas Waugh in Vegas, yeah. right? Well, you go that that fourth line that they had last year was so good offensively for a quote-unquote fourth line. Yeah. Like, they could create chances. Yes, they did all the dirty work and the grinding and the heavy lifting you expect out of a fourth mm-hmm. line, but they also had... here's the They were way key- better than, like, the Merlot line for, yeah. for the Bruins. Like, and, but you know? there's two key parts to this. One, they had the hockey ability, and two, they had the freedom from the coaching staff, mm-hmm. right? Like, the... The Merlot line in 2011 didn't have either of those things. Like Claude Julien, I mean, I mean, they were more effective than the Oreskovich line. Yeah, right. But, <laughs> but but it wasn't like Claude Julien was like Sean Thornton, go dangle, buddy. If you feel like you've got a lane, take it. Right. Like there was a certain things that they were gonna do. Um, you know. Oh, by the way, I wanted to get into two things here. Um, I always like looking at what the other team says post game, just out of curiosity, because oftentimes it's boring and it's typical hockey cliches. But uh, so you two, like looking at it. 
in the event that someone says something interesting. So Brindamore was super critical of the Canes. He actually said they were terrible to start in the first two periods. And yeah, I was like, the Canucks dominated them. Yeah, I didn't. I mean, I thought terrible was strong. And I was like, hey, give the Canucks some credit. And he kind of did. He's like, we were terrible. They were good. But then he's like, it's afraid. I was afraid that this might happen, and it happened. I'm like, okay, fine, whatever. Was he talking about coming out of the break and afraid yeah, exactly. that it was going to happen? Yeah. I, I think probably what he was thinking is like, you know that third period we just watched? Why couldn't we have played like that the whole game? And then he sort of put it up. He's like, we played better in the third. Just didn't happen for us. And mm. then he shrugged. I was like, okay, Rob made his point. Jordan Martin. And, and then he flexed. Yeah, that's right. Took off his shirt. <laughs> <laughs> and then Jordan Martinuk. Had a really interesting one. Not so much that it was like this revelatory analysis, but I think it really encapsulates exactly what the team is about right now. He said, you've got to give some credit to the Canucks. They came out and they knew what they wanted to do and they were doing it and it felt like they were doing it every shift. I'm like, what a great thing to have an opponent say about your team. It's like, not only do they have a clear strategy and approach, (laughs) but they adhere to it. Every shift. Anyone can take a reservation. That's right. You know, I mean, and again. He is holding the reservation. What was one of the biggest complaints about the Boudreaux era is it felt like nobody knew what they were doing shift to shift. Yeah, and that like, wasn't from us. That was from players on the team. It was like they just had, they're just like, well, I'll just go out and freelance. And then when you go into the intermission, it's like, we got to try harder. Come on, boys. <laughs> and then out we went for the next period, right? Now, yeah. and I'll say. I still think back to when Bieksa went to talk to them and it said, you guys are lucky. Bruce lets you play. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, I think this team needs a plan. And I, you know, I will say this, um, you know, that approach to coaching, it can work, but you have to have a group that is so disciplined and so structured and has a plan in place where all you need is the great motivator. Like I think for, you know what, Tor- uh, yeah. you know what Tortorella took over from Vino? Mm-hmm. I think that if it had been, Boudreaux that had come totally. in, the I timing think it would have been, been way a, better. It would have been an amazing fit. Yeah. Because he wouldn't have tried to reinvent the wheel. Mm-hmm. He would have been like, we got to hit him high and hit him low and hit him in the trenches, that yeah, kind of yeah. thing, right? As opposed to. Torch was like, you guys don't know what you're doing. Right. You got a lot to learn about this game. And some of the Canucks must have been like, see those President's Trophy banners? Yeah. Like, we just need a guy to give us some juice, like some, some energy, a new yeah. lift. We don't need someone to reinvent the wheel. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where I think. The whole thing fell apart. Chris Higgins, you are now the most important player on the team because you win battles along the wall. Yeah, like that's not it, right? Yeah. So, you know, you go back to the Boudreaux era here, and you can you can relitigate it all you want and everything, but to hear a guy like Martin Nuke say this about the current Canucks is perfect because that's exactly what Talkett brought in. We have a system. We have a style. Staples, yeah. right? Non-negotiables. And how about them getting back for two practices before that? that game as well. Mm-hmm. You know, I was reading some reporting from Drance about all the different ways that the Canucks had to get to Carolina so they could go to that practice on Sunday night and then have another practice on Monday, mm-hmm. which, um, and, and especially, you know, Tockett said he gave the option to the guys who were at the All-Star game to take the Sunday practice off, and they're like, what are you, crazy? Like, yeah. you know, and, and that is that is a leadership group coming together. Yep. And number one, recognizing the opportunity that they've given themselves. And number two, not wanting to blow it, wanting to keep going. And let's not get too hyped up on all our good reviews and not let's not get lazy because sometimes it's human nature. You're like, look at our record. 
we got this massive points lead in the division. We don't have to go. Like, we were just at the All-Star game. We had all these obligations. If we can take this practice off, if he's given us the option to take this practice off, let's do it. Let's let's sit around, and we'll practice Monday. Don't worry, we'll still get a practice in. <laughs> nope. They wanted to do it, and I think it was very important, especially with Lindholm yeah. being there. Like, he, all the top guys had to be there for that practice in order for them to show the new guy that we are finally – a serious hockey team. Uh, Mike, the teacher, texts into the Dunbar number text message in basket at 650-650. Mike, the teacher, writes, it's crazy to think how much this bottom six has changed. I was reminded the other day that last year, the bottom six included Curtis Lazar. I mean, it, well, he wasn't alone. There was a handful of guys where you were like, this, this individual is not long for this team, right? I mean, like Lockwood was playing upwards of 10 games last year. Remember Kravtsov? He played 16 games last year. It was just, it was a collection of guys that clearly, clearly weren't going to fit under the style that Rick Tockett wanted to play. And you talked about this earlier, like the third line, yeah, Garland and Joshua were here last year. But bringing Bluger in has just really tied the room together, like that aforementioned rug from the Big Lebowski. And (laughs) it's really made it work. And it's, it's... You know, it's chicken and egg a little bit. It's like, well, is it the coaching or is it the guys that they brought in to complement the coaching? And you can't really, you know, litigate the conversation like that because I think what it is is Talkit clearly went to the coaching staff after watch or to the management group after watching the last two months of the last year's regular season and said, certain guys I can work with. Yeah. Certain guys I can't. Mm -hmm. And if we're going to do this, you need to go out and target certain types of players, right? I I don't even think he needed to do that, right? Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin have been watching hockey for a long time. Yeah, sure. Almost every, you know, the the quotes that came along with the free agent signing, almost every one of them included some reference to helping out on the PK. Mm -hmm. And guys that are good on the PK are usually guys that are just, good defensively and responsible players and do the fundamentals well. And that's what the Canucks needed more of. Uh, we are going to continue the Canucks conversation on the other side with a wrinkle, the baby Canucks, the Abbotsford Canucks. We're going to talk about them with Dave Hall. He is a prospects writer for Canucks army. We'll talk about Arshdeep Baines and the fantastic weekend. He had MVP of the AHL all-star game. Uh, I want to ask him about Max Sasson, who's having a nice year in Abbotsford. Danila Klimovich, Atu Ratu, the goaltending situation in Abbotsford. Uh, Vasily Podkolzin as well. All of the prospects that are one day hoping to make it to the NHL club. We'll talk about them next on the Halford and Brev Show on Sportsnet 650. The most opinionated Canucks show out there. Canucks Talk with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drans. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ratu to the point. Woo. Back to Ratu. 13 seconds left. Play to front. Sasson scores! Money Max. Canucks lead 3-2. They are flying. on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour two of the program. Dave Hulk 
Prospects writer for Canucks Army is going to join us in just a moment here. Hour two is brought to you by Primetime Craft Beer. Meticulously brewed for quality and taste, Primetime Craft Beer is full flavor without compromise. You can find it at a liquor store near you. You can ask for it if they don't have it. Or visit the brewery to see how it's made. Money Max, is that Max Sasson's nickname? You'd think it'd be a play on Sasson, but I like Money Max. The alliteration is good. Sassy. He is the uh, second leading scorer on the Abbotsford Canucks, if I'm not mistaken. We are talking a little Abbotsford Canucks now with none other than Dave Hall. He is a prospects writer for Canucks Army. He joins us now on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Morning, Dave. How are you? I'm doing great, guys. How you guys doing? We're good. Thanks for taking the time to do this. We appreciate you yeah. uh, taking time out of your busy morning to talk a little Abbey Canucks. I want to start. Yeah, thanks for having me. No problem. Arshdeep Baines, uh, MVP performance at the AHL All-Star Game over the weekend. My question is this. Um, given how his trajectory has really taken off since turning pro, where is his ceiling now as compared to when he signed his entry-level deal with the Canucks back in 2022? <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, it's a pretty good story. You gotta love uh, the kid that comes out undrafted in uh, both Bantam and uh, the NHL. So he comes out. You know, look, he's just been able to adapt to every sort of situation that he's been thrown at. And on a pretty inconsistent Abbotsford lineup, he's been kind of that one shining uh, piece that just consistently seems to produce. And so I think with Arsteep, you're kind of getting a little bit of everything. You know, I think the ceiling is probably somewhere, you know, maybe you can throw him in in that, that second line and hope to hope that he chips into production. But I just still think at the NHL level, you're just getting a real hard worker that has some, some good vision and some good puck handling skills. And I just think he could probably chip in from time to time. But I still think you're looking at probably that third line just because he brings so much energy and so much you know grit to that uh, that four check so given that he was an undrafted guy and they signed him to an entry-level deal just two years ago what this must speak volumes about the player development side of things to have someone go you hope he makes it to where now you're saying that you know the ceiling could be a bona fide nhl third liner Absolutely. And, you know, I think some credit has to be given to him as well. I think, you know, I think one of the things that Arsteep has been so good at is just that he's been coachable. He's he's willing to learn. He's willing to, you know, take a healthy scratch and look at some tape and better his game every night. And, you know, it's just been, it's been one of those, this whole season, it's been kind of uh, amazing to watch because, you know, Hansford's been pretty banged up. And he's, as a 20, you know, a sophomore in the AHL, he's been, He's been asked quite a bit. And so, yeah, it's, it's a big testament to the uh, development from the coaching side. But I also just think tons of credit has to be given to him. Uh, Vasily Podkolzin had three goals and six points in his previous four games uh, ahead of the All-Star break. How is Podkolzin's game looking beyond just the sort of basic counting stats? He's been good. I, I think the, the the one issue with Abbotsford is being consistency, and with uh, with the exception of you know Archie Baines, who just seems to bring it almost every night. You just not you're not really sure what you're going to get. So Vasily Barkosin, he's been fantastic. He's been shooting a ton. He leads. You know, he's almost up there in the league with uh, shots for. You know, he's shooting a ton. Every once in a while, he'll toss his head down and just give us that patented pod coals and drive, which we love to see. That's the game that we want him to be playing. The problem is, is just the consistency night to night basis. So, you know, one night he'll go two goals, have seven shots and he'll look like the best player on the ice. And the next night he's a little bit invisible. So for me, it's just been the, the consistency part of it. And that's why I've been such a, you know, I've been kind of driving home the whole, let's keep him in Abbotsford just because we haven't been seeing it on a night to night basis. Now, 
he came out the gate flying at the starting of the year, and we, you know, we thought it was going to be a short stint. He looked fantastic, and of course, he suffered that unfortunate head injury, and that obviously took, um, you know, kind of stopped his tracks quite significantly because since then he just, you know, we just don't know what he's going to get. But he's been good lately, and I, I you know, I, I, I wouldn't be opposed to seeing him in Vancouver, you know, maybe in a bottom pairing role. I just, if you're coming, if you're hoping to get some production out of him in Vancouver, I just don't think it's uh, the the spot for him yet. Um. Does he kill penalties? He's not killing penalties yet. No, hmm. that's so he hasn't killed. He hasn't been killing penalties. Uh, almost half of his productions on the power play. Um, one nice thing is he, you know, he does have this booming one timer. You know, a lot Pedersen coming out this year, which is nice. But you know, we that, that's that's the thing. The production just hasn't been there on you know for a tenth overall pick that you're hoping for that pedigree to come in and kind of put up Archie. Bain's numbers to be all fair um, we just haven't really seen that so have you thought about any potential matches for next season in terms of like the Canucks have this guy let's take a guy like Dakota Joshua let's say Dakota Ooh. Joshua prices himself out of Vancouver and the Canucks have to make a tough decision and say Dakota go get your money somewhere else you know, yep. when I when I was thinking earlier, like I you know, I don't watch a lot of Abbotsford games, I was like, Oh, could Pod Colson take that role? Well, Dakota Joshua is a fixture on the PK and he's really good at it, so that's yeah. probably not a fit. Have you thought about any potential matches? Because I'm sure Patrick Alvin is thinking about this in the front office. Yeah, I think uh and I think you're kinda of bang on with the Dakota Joshua with the exception of penalty kill. I think that that third line energy, you know, Again, kind of like I was mentioning with R.C. Baines, he can kind of chip in from time to time. I just don't know. I'm just not sold this year, from what I've seen this year at least, that he's going to come in and be a top six fixture out the gate. And so I'm kind of hoping for that, as you said, Dakota Joshua, third line, bring some energy, you know, maybe apparently get into a fight or two as he did this year and just kind of hopefully chip in from time to time. But like you said, he hasn't been getting any PK this year, so that's going to definitely cut his his minutes down. But I think for now, I'm hoping for that third line role next year. Any other guys that you could see as fits for potential guys that might be leaving? Well, you know, someone that I've been... There's a few guys that I really like down there. Not so much to come in and, you know, be a superstar up there, but I I, I think it's time to start looking at Max Sasson. You heard him in... uh, you heard him in the call there before I came on, and shout out to Brandon Assel, the the play-by-play guy in Abbotsford. He's he gets so electric when they score. But I really like Max Sasson. He's got he's second in points. Nineteen of his points have come on at five on five, and he just seems to be one of those centermen that you know you you kind of throw anyone on his line, and he'll make he'll kind of make them better. You know, mm-hmm. Atu is a great example. Um, even Linus Carlson, they had a great line going, and a lot of it was because Max Sasson. You know, he drives the forecheck, he grabs, he gets on the dirty areas, and whether it's shooting or passing, he can kind of do it all. And so, you know, I, I'm not quite sure if he's going to be doing it at a high, high level at the NHL, but um, I think Max Hassan, as a rookie in the NHL, has definitely put his name in the hat for someone who I wouldn't be too shocked to see if he gets uh, a call-up. You know, he's, he's a centerman, he's played really well, he's, he can skate well. Um, so I just think overall, I think Max Hassan's a name to kind of keep your eye out for. Yeah, he he he's a good skater, isn't he? Is he is he yeah. is he one of the best skaters up up front for the Abbotsford Canucks? I'd say I'd say um, you know just in terms of 
yeah, foot speed, foot speed. I'd say he's definitely up there for sure. Sometimes you kind of he kind of puts himself into some situations where you don't really know exactly where he's going. But in terms of foot speed, he's definitely up there. He can he can fly. Who else skates well? Because we all know that Rick Tockett wants his forwards to get in on the forecheck, and it yep. sure helps if you have speed to do that. Yeah, well, actually, Baines, he was, you know, he, before he missed it because of weather, he was supposed to be in the fastest skater uh, competition at the AHL skills competition. But uh, I also really like Tristan Nielsen. He's, if you ever want a bulldog, that, again, I'm not sure you're going to get much production out of him at the NHL level. Mm-hmm. But if you're looking for a speed, a speedy water bug out there, Tristan Nielsen is definitely someone to keep an eye out for, for sure. What about on the back of the season on defense, among among the young guys who might have a future with the club? Oof, it's it's been tough. I mentioned injuries, and especially their back end is just. It just seems every single night they come out and they get an injury. Um, it's it's been really tough. So lately, Jet Wu and Cole McWard have taken quite uh, quite the significant roles, um, and I've liked both of them. To be quite honest, I, I've actually really liked what I saw from Cole, Cole McWard. Uh, I know you said not to bring up the, the younger guys, but I think I got to give him some credit. He's stepped up, and I've just he's just been really solid on a night-to-night basis, and leads the defensive corps in five-on-five uh, goal differential. And he just seems to kind of be able to do it all at not a super high level, but it's just kind of no nonsense. And Jet Wu, I, I actually thought he's played very well. Um, you know, at, with with him, you can't. You know what you're going to get. He's going to give you a little bit of grit. He's going to stand up for some teammates. He can skate decently well. He can. You can. I, I just feel a little confident that you can maybe toss him in that third pairing role at the Canucks level and just see what he can do. Um, you know, if you if need be. Um, but with that said, that he pretty much does exactly what Mark Friedman does. And mm. when Mark Friedman came down to Abbotsford, he looked fantastic. So I think you pretty much got a jet wheel in Mark Friedman, if I'm being honest. But so, I mean, on the back end, it's okay to admit, like, there's still a bit of a, a bit of a hole there in there's terms of prospects. Yeah. <laughs> Let, let's just say they're, they're waiting for Elias Pettersson. Um, mm. Elias Pettersson, Akito Hirose, he's been injured all season, so I wouldn't even want to touch on anything that he's been doing because he, he had a, a month stint in Vancouver, and then since he's been back, he's been injured. So he hasn't been there. Uh, they've got some AHL call-ups going on. Um, Will Annan apparently is out long-term now, so... It's been it's been bleak for sure. So we're we're hoping for Elias Pettersson at the end of the year, and you know we've got some guys potentially making the jump next year, uh, a la Kirill Kudratsev in uh, the Sioux Greyhounds. So hopefully he's coming up. But yeah, it's 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 been a tough go. And do you mostly expect Will Ander to just stay in college for next season? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, he's he's another guy who's, you know, he comes in with flashes of he's looked amazing, and then there's just nights where he looks okay. And mm. so I, I think next year we're hoping for his sake that Lane Hudson, you know, make, turns pro, he, he gets out of the program, and they kind of hand Willander the reins, and he can kind of take over from there. So one more year of college where he's the man. Uh, I think he should be ready to go, but definitely one more year. So Alfred, Alfred mentioned this uh, going into the segment, uh, this name that I really hadn't thought about much lately, uh, Danila Klimovic. Uh, what, like, what's, what's, what's going on with him? He's going to play 17 games. He's got four points. Yeah, yeah, not much. It, this kind of feels like, you know, obviously his, his stock as a prospect's taken a dip, but I would say this is more of a let's just, focus on some positives and try again next year. It's, it's been a challenging year. You know, it started out with an injury, which turned into a healthy scratch, which turned into an injury, which turned into a healthy scratch. And 
And then since he's been back, he's been playing primarily fourth line role, but he has been turning up a little bit. He's been shooting a lot. He had six shots on Friday. Um, he's finally getting some power play time, which is what I was hoping that he would get from the get-go because he's at his best when he's shooting a ton and he's confident with his shot. He's getting into the four check, but yeah, it's, it's been, a, it's been a tough go. He's been playing a lot of uh, fourth line roles. And so it's, it's, it's just at this point, we're just, we're getting the positives. He's shooting a lot right now. He's, you know, getting some forecheck in there, and we like that from him as of right now, and we just hope that we can see a little more of it in this last little stretch and hopefully a bunch next year. So one of the things I think we've seen from Casey DeSmith this season is how important having a capable backup goalie is in the NHL. Um, you know, if your backup goalie is playing... 15% of your games or 20% of your games, that can make a big difference in the standings. Um, Casey DeSmith is a pending unrestricted free agent, and he might be one of the tough decisions that the Canucks have to make uh, and potentially even walk away from Casey DeSmith. Is Archer Silovs ready to become a backup in the NHL? How has the goaltending been for the Abbotsford Canucks? So easy answer is I think he can definitely handle the load of backup for sure. Um, you know, I'm not technically a goalie guy, so, you know, I'm not, I won't be able to give you any technical terms here, but there just seems, there is, there just seem to be a little bit of inconsistency there, like at least in comparison to last year. You know, last year he just seemed so dialed every single night. And this year there's been a little bit of inconsistency where you don't really know what you're going to get on a nightly basis. He just seems to, every once in a while, he just feels a little uncomfortable and loses the net. But overall, when he's on his best, um, you know, on his game, I, I, I definitely think there's definitely he shouldn't have any any problems being a backup that's for sure but it's just for me this year it's there's just been a couple games where you're kind of wondering why he's scattering like he is but uh again i I definitely think he can handle it just you know backup for sure (laughs) dave this was great man thanks for taking the time to do this today we really appreciate it if you're up for it we'll do this again later on in the season oh absolutely no i appreciate you guys having me and uh yeah we'll definitely do it later on Sounds good. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Ed. Thanks. That's Dave Hall, uh, prospects writer for Canucks Army here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. So by the sounds of it, it's our Steve Baines that's impressed, obviously, and Max Sasson. And that's important, you know, to have that center, and I'm talking about Max Sasson here, mm-hmm. to have those guys that can come up and play center in case you run into injuries. And it's always nice to have that versatility in the organization. Um, They might also look at someone like Nils Amon and go, you know, can Sasson beat that guy out? Sasson's real interesting because he's got like very little experience playing out of his junior days. Like the age doesn't really match up, but he only spent two years in college. Mm Mm-hmm. And he's only got 42 games total of professional hockey experience. I know. I know. And he's going to be 24 this Some year. Some guys are late bloomers, right? Yeah. Like, he's going to be 24 this year. So, I mean, Dakota Joshua's a late bloomer. Mm-hmm. Took him a long time to get to this point. And I think that's an important aspect of all this. And look, uh, if you go back and you look at the annals of history in Pittsburgh and Wilkes-Barre, Rutherford and his staff had a lot of success mining guys that kind of had that similar path that were like, they spent time in the USHL for a long time. They played college hockey for a long time. And by the time they got to the NHL level, Mm -hmm. they were into their 20s, 
I mean, they weren't old or anything. Not like they had grandkids, but they, you know, they were <laughs> they were mature prospects. And I, we've seen the Canucks try they, this. They, they couldn't figure out the TV remote. They're yeah. like, <laughs> they had an old flip phone. They're like, I like it. I'm not getting it rid works. of it. Yeah. And um, you, you go back and look at some of the guys. I mean, you even look at when Teddy Bluger. It took Teddy Bluger a long, long time mm-hmm. to become what he is at the NHL level. And that takes a considerable amount of patience. And it takes a considerable amount of time and investment from your player development. And I think it takes an eye for, and, a, and maybe just like, it, maybe more of an art, like it's a feel for sure. who could still take steps and a lot of that is, you know, you look at their work ethic and you watch them on the ice and you see who's smart and who's not. And maybe just who needs more um, coaching up in, in the fund- fundamentals area. Yeah. Um, but guys that are coachable and competitive and really want to make it. It's why I really cheer for guys like our Steve Baines and Tristan Nielsen. Like these guys are undrafted players, but they've obviously done just they've they've worked really hard right to stay in it and and i'm sure at each new level people are like you know what you've had a great story but Mm -hmm. this will probably be it for you um and they read those reports you know or they hear those things and they're like okay well that's what i heard at the last level so i'm going to show you again now here's the thing that approach is great for mining diamonds trying to find diamonds in the rough Right. Like you, you, you see something and you think that you can let it marinate and hone it to where it could be something far greater than what you expected at the time. RHD Baines is a great example. Mm-hmm. Cost the Canucks nothing. No draft pick invested in the guy. They signed him out of junior, gave him a shot. And then some people will say, well, how can, what about Pod Colson? Well, Pod Colson, unfortunately for him, is an entirely different story because of the draft capital spent on the guy. He's a 10th overall pick. So at a certain point... It's disappointing to hear that there are still consistency issues for him. Because you look at where he was taken, you're saying he was basically bookended by Zegris and Boldy in his draft year. Mm -hmm. And right now, you can say that whatever flaws those guys might have in their game, they're far from perfect NHLers, but you know that they're going to be in the NHL. You know that they are going to produce at an NHL level. And right now... I'm not sure you can say that about Pod Colson, probably through no fault of his own. It sounds by all accounts that it's not a hard work issue and it's not a dedication issue. It might just be that he's just not going to pan out. Yeah. And that can happen for a variety of reasons, mm-hmm. right? It can be fit. It can be where you're at as an organization and where the player is at. And he might find his footing a few years down the road. But because he was taken 10th overall and because of the importance of those first-round picks... It's a lot harder to preach patience with the guy when you know that he's probably not going to be what you need him to be as a first-round pick as opposed to Baines and Sasson, yeah. which are basically found money. And that's where the organization sometimes has to make a tough call yeah. on whether or not to cut bait because you could till, still tell a pretty good story. Let's say you're looking to wait, make one more addition to the Canucks this season, yeah. right? You want to bring in a you want to bring a, bring in a player but the other team is going to want someone too. Yep. Right? And maybe uh... there's a team out there that's in a similar situation to like Calgary where they don't want to go full-on rebuild. So they want young players that can get a shot in the NHL. You could tell a story about Pod Colson, right? That could be, and I'm not saying 
you know, pot calls in for Tanner or whatever. It's, I'm just, just, a hypothetical. it's, it's just a hypothetical. Like, you know, you hear more and more about these teams that don't want to go through the full teardown rebuild. They want young players that are close to the NHL, if not already in the NHL. And Pod Colson's already played a bunch of games in the NHL. And it's a story to tell, right? You're, you, you kind of entice the other team into thinking, oh, okay, maybe, you know, with a change of scenery or just a different situation, we can mine that potential that was so obvious in the draft. Otherwise, like, sometimes you wait too long yeah. and you're like, well... You know, we have so much invested in this guy in terms of draft capital. We've put a lot of hard work in ourselves trying to turn this guy into a player. But then, you know, you blink your eyes and you're like, oh, wait a minute. He's like 24. Well, okay. and, the, and the story, the story, like he has no value. Like we can't even tell like a proper good story about this guy. To put further context onto that point into this conversation, you know who the number two overall pick was in Pod Golson's draft year? Capo Caco. And that's yeah, a guy yeah. who right now is apparently being shopped around. And Chris Drury is taking calls on him in New York because at a certain point you have to say, is this going to work here? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, he, and, he, and, and frankly, like, they're going to get pennies on the dollar. Imagine if they just, I don't want to say had the courage. Well, I maybe. Had courage the, is a part of it. Yeah. And to just be like, you know what? I, I don't know if this guy is what he's going to be. Or what it, what we thought he's going to be like. You you do have to change your mind sometimes, right? And it's frustrating for the organization. It's frustrating for the guys that had put in a lot of work working with these players. But eventually, you know, you you wait and you wait and you wait, and then your asset dies on the vine. Uh, we're going to pivot in a totally different direction here on the Halford and Bruff show on Sportsnet 650. First, by telling you about the big football game and the big football party this Sunday at the Clayton Public House. Reserve your spot for the big football party at the Clayton Public House, hosted by Sportsnet 650. Visit theclaytonpub.com for more. The Clayton Public House, good food, good people, good times. Coming up on the other side of the break, 8 o'clock hour, we're kicking it off with the mayor of Vancouver, Ken Sim, as we talk about preparations for the 2026 FIFA World Cup, seven matches right here in Vancouver. You're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Vasiliev Potsovac. 